Hello, hello again, everybody. Welcome to Should Have Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of booze, the show of Pittsburgh, the show of Final Fantasy. Today's guest is the wonderfully young, the wonderfully driven Amanda Carto, currently working at Geraldine's at Hotel Van Zant down on Rainy Street in Austin, Texas. She's a go-getter. She's been affiliated with Tales of the Cocktail, was working for San Antonio Cocktail Conference this year. She's young. She's not even 28 yet. Puts me to shame. Oh, the things she will accomplish. So I hope you guys sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation with Amanda Carto. summer program that was within UCLA. We were about 13, 14 years old at the time. So awkward. So Such awkward. a terrible, awkward time. I know. And yeah. I was a total nerd girl, played all the video games, loved anime, read comic Really? Books. So get, just, just because you want to make all the guys jealous, what name just a couple of the video games <laughs> that, that you would have played. Um, I still play video games, but me too. Yeah, <laughs> I was I, I was just as an aside. I was battling my future father-in-law at Tetris Doctor Mario just this Saturday, and I was winning. And then he somehow caught on to it, and I got. I was just like, I'm so sad now. He oh. started beating my ass like real bad in Tetris. <laughs> anyway, so you're a competitive video gamer. So. Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I didn't think I was, but I think it's actually pretty likely that I that I was getting mad. I, there was a specific like, correlation with him, between him beating my ass and then me like getting tired like, <laughs> conveniently, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go to bed now. I don't want to. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I was revisiting Final Fantasy X. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. PlayStation? Yeah. Yeah. yeah PlayStation. Yeah. I have a PS4. So okay. I, uh, you can actually now download it on it. Awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's one of the first longer games I really fell in love with. Um, and at the time, uh, when I was about 13, I was really into the survival horror genre. So. What is that game-wise? I don't know. Resident Do Evil, oh. Silent Hill, Do- Fatal would Frame. Doom, Doom be classified? Doom would be classified. Quake, right? Quake, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. So. The, where you just, there's lots of blood. It's kind of scary because Trent Reznor did the soundtrack and the snippets for <laughs> Quake, right? Right. Now we like like uh, Ladia will play Quake or excuse me, she'll play Doom sometimes, and I'll just sit in there and watch her play, and I'll I'll grab a water or something, and it takes me back to all the classic horror films. It's just the sound, the the, the ambiance, all of it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really scary stuff. It's scary. You really need to have a, a friend or somebody that you really <laughs> trust to see you in that kind of a state of total a fear. A designated thinker, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I could weird. never play those games by myself, so I would always They're need to scary have as somebody shit. with me. Yeah. Even when I was like in my teenage years, like, hey, let's turn the light on while we're playing Click. I, I, I feel a little bit scared, you know? I remember the first time that I had a, 
a liquor come through the window in Resident Evil 2 and just the sound that oh came out God, of me is so, unreal. It's terrifying. And it yeah. gets you every time still. It totally gets you every time. Well, so so parlay this. Yeah. So you're 13, you're at UCLA. You Was it a friend of yours? Yeah, uh, we met at this summer camp. So okay. I what was, was the what was the gist of the summer camp? Like, why were you guys at UCLA? So smart kids or uh, smart kids. Uh, basically, uh, the program's called People to People. Okay, and what they do is throughout the entire international spectrum, they pick certain uh, students yeah. who have leadership skills within their schools. So teachers nominate oh, you. I you see. have the opportunity okay. to go. So for the summer, I was able to earn college credits for at thirteen and f- that's in- <laughs> that's insane. You're saving like the dollar. You're saving so much money at exactly. that point. Exactly. I walked away with I think six credits holy, for just a two and a half shit. week. It's like twenty five hundred bucks. Just yeah. straight up. <laughs> and Amazing. it was an easy course. You know, you get to see a bunch of cute boys. And yeah. Go to Disney World and then sit in on a lot of seminars during the day. So not so bad. <laughs> yeah. Not so bad at all. And so what, like, did you guys, were they classes? So you, you and he were in the same class? Uh, we were in the same class or group. We just kept seeing each other and crossing paths yeah, during yeah. the actual, intera- uh, during like our evening activities. Right. And I think how we met was uh, we were at the Santa Monica Pier and- Very we were, romantic. So romantic. <laughs> and what makes it even more romantic is I was waiting in line to play DDR, Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> So, that's how everybody keeps fit in Santa Monica Pier, from what I understand. I, that's why everybody looks so beautiful there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we were talking in line, and I was just getting into Kevin Smith at the time. Oh, so so tell me what year this is. Uh, this was in 2004, 2003. So this is uh, dog my year. Well, no, 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 Dogma's even Dogma's earlier. That was a little before. So I think that was late 90s. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around then, I was getting into the Kevin Smith classics like Clerks. Yeah. I fell in love with Chasing Amy pretty oh, much immediately. Amazing romance that's my, movie. That's my favorite Kevin Smith movie. Do you even like Ben Affleck in that? A I lot do. Of people, I love him in that movie. I, I find him very endearing, and uh, I can definitely see. I, I like the heartbreak at the very end. It's oh, a very it's real end to very real a relationship. Yeah. That quiet ending. It's almost stupid, like the way he approaches that whole thing. But yeah. at least he was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Obviously. So you've got Santa Monica Pier. Is he, was he the same age, like 13, 14? He was a little older. I think he was yeah. like 15. Oh, preying on the youth. Scandalous. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, during this uh, week, we just kept missing each other. I think it was the last night we had. Just like a little kiss here and there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we kept in contact. Uh, he was going to boarding school at the time. Mm-hmm. And he would call me on a pay phone, on my cell phone. And it was an impossible relationship. We just kept just, in contact. Got you. Like it was just everything was set in opposition. Right. right? And this was during the advent of Facebook. So mm-hmm. I remember getting a pre-invite to Facebook around. Yeah, this was 2004. Yeah. So I remember getting an early invite because I had a qualifying email address. Ah, yes. Back before high school students right, could actually yeah, yeah, join, yeah. you needed an invite. Of Any like sort. normal schmo could join <laughs> Facebook. Right. It was very exclusive at the point. <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Think about like Facebook and the yeah. word exclusive now. It's like, oh man, those must have been the days. I know. I remember those days when you needed an invite to live journal. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh, live journal. 
how I emoted <laughs> in Live <laughs> Journal. So many paragraphs. Yes. On verbose beyond <laughs> control. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we kept in contact through Facebook, through phone, and we kept missing each other. And I think it was about well over a decade of us not seeing each other because I, I've been to New York City a few times. He went to school at NYU. We mm. kept missing each other. And finally, start, he launched this podcast. Oh, Human Sexuality Podcast. Yeah, he, it's uh, the... What's it called? It's called the Man Whore Podcast. <laughs> what, <laughs> what? A, a self-proclaimed man whore or yeah. just like wanted to learn more about how to be a man whore? The whole idea is that he kept trying to find love over and over again or find a relationship and... Yeah. It's really hard to find love in New York City. No, I hear that. Absolutely. So many people, so many agendas. Mm-hmm. When when you when you date somebody, it's like it's not like LA and that it's so direct where it's like, well, where do you drive? Because that's one metric, right? So how much do you make? Not enough? Done. I'm out. <laughs> but New York is this culmination of things. It's like, well, what do you do? It's not about the money necessarily. Are you artistic enough? Do you know the right people? So he's kind of maybe trying to find his path and maybe do you think he's trying to find love or, or create conversations so maybe it gets him into that position a little bit more easily? I mean, I'm not trying to... Th- I don't know. I haven't heard it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I really like the angle, and that's the reason why I agreed to do it initially because he was approaching it where he was friends with all of his exes yeah. or that he did have or was friends with a lot of girls. So basically what he did was going on a quest of just having human conversation, just interacting with these people, having long format conversations. And then it kind of evolved into him interviewing people who were experts uh, in all things human sexuality. Like actual doctors and psychologists and stuff? Doctors, psychologists, folks who are uh, working porn stars, feminist porn stars. Interesting, wow. uh, People who are in the sex toy business. Yeah. It just, it evolved from there. And he's doing pretty well that's so it, cool. So. And so he asked you to be on because somehow you struck a chord. Is <laughs> and it, it, were you the one that got away? Like I don't know that you mentioned that, but does he does he just hold you in such high high reverence that it's like I, I why didn't it, it work out, Amanda? <laughs> like why couldn't we make this work? I think it's because our paths just never crossed again. Like yeah. we had this ongoing friendship, and it was something where he was viewing we were viewing each other through Facebook yeah. where. I mean, he would, we would just see each other's lives and we would always miss each other. He's a comedian as well. So oh, that he, makes a lot more sense, exactly. actually. Exactly. So he would come to Pittsburgh and do a show and I would be too busy working uh, right. at my bar or I would be in New York City. You but... certainly know how to stimulate supply and demand, don't you? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> he comes in like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. God damn it. Yeah. So he, uh, so finally we, we met up and, it was kind of funny because for my first podcast sort of long format interview, he had the old school like headphones. Yes. I had to hold a mic. A you had to hold time. it. I had to hold a mic. It's so rough doing that. I'm telling you from a production standpoint. Right. I was I was constantly waving the mic right, around right. too much and we we're having awesome conversations. Yeah. The first time we talked to each other and probably for that extended time for probably three or four years and oh, the first amazing. time we were revisiting these stories in about a decade so wow yeah that's inc- incredible did you find that you had more or less common ground now uh i think we still held a lot of the same common ground and i feel like we realized how different our 
lives yeah were what it turned time? into because you met each other at such so at this point so you met when you're 13 he's roughly 15 a couple years older but then when you revisit it how old are you then um well he was 15 i was about 14 and mm. then when we did the interview it was just this year it was right oh be- shit it was right before i moved to austin no kidding actually yeah it was in it was a year ago. It no was way. January, yeah. So, so January, February, ten plus years. That's fair, right? Or just under ten years? Uh, yeah, just about ten years. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And so you guys, <laughs> you guys have firmly established who you're going to be for now. Who you're going to be as people, the kinds of paths you've taken, maybe even de- delving into some careers, you know. And so you meet, and was it right where you left off? I mean, I can't oh. imagine. You know, I don't know, but. That's the funny thing is whenever we were talking, it just felt like how we would talk 10 years ago or yeah. five years ago. Or, it's so, so crazy. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't, you never think about the kind of friendships or the conversations that you can just pick up right yeah. there. I mean, I don't think I know a lot of people who've known me for 10 years consistently. Yeah, yeah. In, in that sort of way. And I think about that now with, I mean, say my college friends where I don't, I could not see them for about two years. Right. And I, this happened to me. I was in Chicago just a month ago, and I haven't seen my two friends who are getting married in a month going to their wedding. But we uh, it was the first time we saw each other in probably three or four years. No and kidding. Just saw each other at the at a, I don't know, this really divey Irish pub. Those are the, the best kind. So good. And talked and caught up and it was nothing it's so strange so this is something and i i've never i've never shared this on the podcast but it's something that actually rings really true with a lot of the people that i grew up with i moved around a whole lot when i was younger but i i once i hit texas some kind of stride i was here for some i've been here since like 97 or something in texas you know Mm -hmm. and there's this quote from a Pedro the Lion song. And so I don't expect anybody to know who that is. But it's a personally very influential band for me. And the the gist of it is that have you ever seen successful men keep in touch with unsuccessful friends? I think I did. But as it turns out, it was just a clever ad for cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like one of my favorite. Like anybody that knows me, obviously, it's like I'm beating in the horse. They've heard me say this quote. But... Do you find, because I I don't know too much about you, but everybody that talks about you, they can frame how, how professional you are, how ambitious you are, how focused, how smart. And do you feel like as you get older that sometimes friends just kind of fall by the, not, not all their friends, but certain friends fall by the wayside? It happens to me. I'll, I'll put it out there. It definitely does. Like I think, I don't know, because the... I'll definitely say that the the friends that and the friendships that I cherish so much that I can just pick up like yeah. that. And I always say my Kent, Ohio people. I went to school at Kent State. Oh, you Ohio. went to Kent? Okay, I did. Uh, no one got shot, right? Not not while I was there. Good, 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 good. <laughs> but um, these I don't talk to them as frequently or often. Yeah. I'm not in these text message chain groups. Right. But those friendships are so precious to me, and they mean the world to me. Um, but yeah, I, I can definitely see how, uh, as we grow professionally, that sometimes it alienates it, it just people fa- in it, a sense, right? I mean, I'm sorry, maybe alienates not the right word, but 
I think we go on different paths. We do, and, right. And that's just what happens. And people keep in contact with the folks that are kind of sharing that same path. Yeah. and But, but conversely, too, if you're focused, and you're like, I want to make this happen, make this happen, constantly moving, constantly expanding your horizons, your career, all that stuff. It's so strange that when you get older, like friends you knew 20 years ago, although that might be a little bit <laughs> a little bit early for you, but for me 20 years ago, like uh, they just, it's different. And it's not bad, it's not good, but we're running different races at that point. You exactly. Know? Yeah. And I'm so lucky to have so many people say that yeah. uh, about me. I'm I'm uh, really flattered, you've been actually. Vet, you've been vetted and like everybody's <laughs> like, well, Amanda's incredibly intelligent, driven, she gets it, you know? <laughs> That's really kind, yeah. especially considering I've only been in Austin since May. So May, yeah, the beginning of the first. Holy week shit! Of May. So not even a year yet. No, I wow. uh, I moved to Austin, Texas, officially on yeah on, in May on May fourth. I that's, arrived town. That's incredible. Yeah. So I, you know, we talked a little bit. I knew some some of your upbringing in Pittsburgh and stuff. But is that are you a Pittsburgh girl? Is that where you grew up? Yeah, I'm I'm firmly Pittsburgh. I was born in Michigan, so Where in Michigan? I was born uh like about two hours north of Detroit. No shit. I'm, yeah, I'm right on the knuckle of the if you bring out yeah, your the, left yeah. hand. Yeah. No, so. I used to live in Detroit. Oh, no way. Yeah, so. I live well Canton specifically, but I took okay. many a trip and heard many a gunshot as a young youth <laughs> in Detroit. Nice. Yeah, I, w- I was born in West Branch, Houghton Lake area. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. And so you're how long were you in Michigan then? Just a couple years? Uh I, we, my family moved when I was about seven, eight years old. Oh, that's that's actually not too young. I mean, you have some, some friends and stuff. Why, what did, why did they end up moving to Pittsburgh, I presume? Dad's job. Job. You know, yeah. yeah I know how family, it goes. Family, yeah. you know. <laughs> what, what industry is he in? Uh, he's in the pharmaceutical industry. Oh, cool. Yeah. So what kind of opportunities presented themselves in P- Pittsburgh? Because I, I understand it as a very um, industrial warehouse production kind of region of the united states like lots of stuff being made there yeah mechanical you know yeah and uh pittsburgh definitely that was the reputation of it back yeah. 30 years ago i mean it's the steel city we were yeah the exactly of the steel industry and you know pittsburgh was really sleepy and quiet for a while after the steel industry started slowing down yeah and it's amazing because there's this huge awesome revitalization happening in pittsburgh where you have a restaurant boom. Zagat just recently announced Pittsburgh as the number one food destination city for 2016. What the fuck, really? Yeah. <laughs> and no dis- no <laughs> no critique, <laughs> Pittsburgh. But all right, well, I guess I have to put on my list now. I guess. Yeah, and it's. I mean, Pittsburgh is such a cool city now versus what it was 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. It's because all the money went into universities, healthcare. We have a Google headquarters. We have no six way. universities there: Pitt, Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, like tw- uh, at my old bar, I would have people from Twitter and Google constantly so coming tech. in about to, yeah, it's That's all incredible. tech, it's all healthcare, it's all education. Wow. And also the rent's still so cheap there that yeah. all these awesome chefs and bartenders and food and, food and service like industry professionals are mm. coming in buying these cheap places and yeah. opening up cool stuff because they're coming back from New York, Chicago. Yeah, all the Sonoma. places are kind of close, right? Well, Sonoma be an exception, but like well, yeah. Chicago's not that far. No. New York's obviously not that far. No, and it's a lot of people where Pittsburgh was home for them, and they went away to learn this awesome craft, Yeah, and these people are coming back 
and applying their craft to their city, whether it's with food or beverage or tech or yeah. healthcare, anything. That's it's, amazing. It's awesome. And the city politics there are super progressive. So we say there's a renaissance occurring in Pittsburgh? Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. I really love that. Yeah. So what, when you moved, you're like seven or eight, you moved to Pittsburgh. How, and I always, because I just want to, because I know how awkward I was in high school. And like what kinds of things I tried to figure out in high school. <laughs> and, and throwing a fit on stage at a talent show because I couldn't get the mic to work right. And all this kind of bullshit. So what, when you, you kind of start finding your own and coming into your own in Pittsburgh, let's say like junior high, high school, what kinds of things do you do in Pittsburgh just to have fun? Uh, there's a diner chain there that's pretty much only in Western Pennsylvania called uh-huh. Eaton Park. <laughs> How is it? Uh, it's a diner. It's like a Denny's, <laughs> you know, but you yeah. go there. I mean, I, I'll i say it. I, I used to smoke when I was in high school. So you go to the Eaton Park to smoke cigarettes, uh-huh. play Monopoly, play board games. Love it. Yeah. Card games. You know, you get your grilled sickies, which are glorified French toast sticks, a la mode. Really? And, is yeah. Scrapple a thing there? Yeah, Scrapple's more of a central we don't know Pennsylvania it in, thing. We don't know it in Texas, really. Yeah, you know? Scrapple is basically just, um, think of like uh, a more rustic pork pate. Yes. You know? yeah, That's yeah, a yeah. good way to put it. So were you doing, I've met it, surprisingly, there's this nice undercurrent of Magic the Gathering fans, apparently. Yes. <laughs> I actually went <laughs> to industry. a lot of Magic the Gathering tournaments when really? I was in high school. Yeah. It's amazing. So <laughs> how... It's funny because you go, you know, for any of us, if you go back 10, 15 years, well, 10, well, shit, not like 15 years for me, but maybe 10 for you. It's like, we're not different people, but we're different visages. We have like a different holder, if you will, like a, a different facade. That's what the word I'm looking for. There you go. And so you, you self-proclaimed nerd playing Magic the Gathering. <laughs> But were you socially awkward too? Because it doesn't seem like you don't understand how to connect with people. You're pretty, you're good. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Um, No, I don't think I was ever very socially awkward. I will say that whenever I was in elementary school and most, and like part of junior high, I was pretty severely bullied, but. But, but so I was too. Yeah. Different reasons, I'm sure. But what, why were you bullied? I think I was bullied because I always wanted to be the girl playing football or I like traditionally male associated things yeah. like video games or Pokemon or magic. Right. And it's just because I really like those things. Yeah. And I read a lot. And I think within my first month of moving to Pittsburgh, I got glasses and an expander within the same month. Uh, I know the feeling. Yes. Yeah. So trying to read out loud with an expander in your mouth and you have a list of the whole school. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, normal things. Yeah. Such yeah, yeah. as that. Uh, there's always clicks in school when you're always. the new kid. It's easy to kind of see them as the outsider. Also sure. coming from rural uh, Michigan to more of a suburban, almost uh, city environment yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of school. Like I went from a small school where there's a total of 30 kids K through 8, and then I went to a school that was K through 5th grade, and there was four teachers for my grade, and there was 20 kids at least in, for each teacher. Man, so it's a little yeah. bit wider. Oh, yeah. So did you feel like – but it seems like you probably were very connected to who you were that whole time. Like this is the thing. Like I think we all go through phases and stuff, and some of us play f- – well, not, not people that I know, but they play football <laughs> and that's they peak they peak out. Yeah. And then they get out of high school and it's like, well, I guess selling insurance ain't that bad, you know. 
<laughs> but like for us, and I, I'm gonna we're, we're I'm gonna lump us together for a moment and saying the kids that were kind of outcasts, a little bit kind of nerdy, liked weirder stuff that now is not weird at all. There's plenty of art movements about Pokemon or Magic: <laughs> The Gathering. Lots of many uh, really cool kids now, you know, are into magic. But did you have like a core group group of friends, like a good support chain? Yeah, I'd say that right around uh, the end of junior high, I had a solid group of friends. You know, there was yeah. about 10 to 15 of us. I would go hang out with my five best girlfriends and we would play Metal Gear Solid until nice. four in the morning yes. on like That's Friday C4. Saturdays. <laughs> right? That C4, will, it'll get you. I, I, yes, Die Hard. I just, all I can think about is Die Hard when I think of C4 because he throws it down the elevator shaft. <laughs> uh, rest in peace, Alan Rickman. Just Oh my goodness. Just it. for the... I remember uh, for San Antonio Cocktail Conference, uh, I came in to print out some sheets in, t- in the Bohannon's office, mm-hmm. and I found out the news. <laughs> it's terrible, right? No. That was a fucking tough week. Yeah, we had Alan Rickman and David Bowie. I remember yeah. my San Antonio Cocktail Conference, our first meeting with the prep crew. We were at Blue Box in yeah. San Antonio, and that's where they announced that David Bowie passed away. Then a few days later, Too Alan much. Rickman. Yeah. Lemmy before that, Angus Schramm from Phantasm. Right. He died. Now he was like in his 90s. Well, maybe late 80s. Yeah. So it's not as tragic, but like Alan Rickman is in his 60s. You yeah. Know? I thought we were going to get a lot, see, witness a lot more work from him. And yeah. Bowie, I actually didn't even know he was sick until probably he, a month or so ago. Amazing PR. I mean, yeah. he... And apparently there will be one to two more posthumous releases from him wow. that he finished. Yeah. So that that's something to look forward to. But a really tough time. Right. You know, and like going into like trying to have a good time at SAC and stuff. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ. But so you end up heading off to Kent State, you said. Yeah, I was only there for about two years. What I were went- you studying over there? I started off with fashion design. Really? Yeah. It, were you doing drawings and fashion in, in high school too? Yeah. So um, also tying in with how nerdy I am, I went yeah. to comic book and anime conventions when That's I was in middle school and high more school. More common than you would think, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, they go hand in hand they very do, well. Yeah. yeah. So I attended anime and comic book and uh, fantasy conventions up until probably about Four years ago, whenever I started working in the bar industry, actually. (laughs) And I feel like uh, nerds and the bar industry go hand in hand. They absolutely do. Absolutely. I was in... It was a parallel career path. And that's kind of bringing up whenever you say that sometimes uh, the nerdier people are kind of perceived as cool. I think it's because we've always been engaged in activities that kind of stimulate our brains and we're able to apply our nerdiness within different things, whether it's Pokemon or booze or whatever. No, it, for it's sure. It's the same concept. It's details, right? It's taking an interest in what other people may consider extraneous. It's like, well, yeah, I don't really care. Mezcal, what is that shit? It's like, no, I want to know how, what did that plant look like? How long did it grow? And what does it taste like? This is just, I think it's a lust for knowledge and a lust for learning. And that people consider that nerdy. And they can say, oh, well, you're playing Pokemon, you're playing Magic Gathering, but you're still developing some kind of organizational skills in doing all that stuff. You're learning about detail. Now, it may not be as valuable and as academic at that point, but it, it's, it's, a good, it's a good litmus or rather a good template for when you get older. You just be fucking interested in stuff. Be interested. Right? Have hobbies. Have yeah. things that are revolved around just work and one thing. Yeah. Be- I don't know. Be diverse. Be diverse. Diverse. Be cultural. Yes, absolutely. 
Yeah. So you said you spent two years at Kent State doing about, fashion? Yeah, I did fashion design, and it was something where I realized it was more so of a, I wanted to keep it a hobby and something that I love to do. And also, I was realizing that a lot of my skills were more so centered, not necessarily around fashion or mm. artwork, but more so about networking and connecting communities yeah. and then also putting on events. I loved hosting parties and I'm not talking about like toga parties. I would have great spreads of food. I loved cooking dinners every Sunday for my friends. Yeah. I would I was learning about drinks and it just made sense that I wanted to and then I found out what public relations was. Right. So I ended up moving back to Pittsburgh and finishing out my education in public relations uh, public relations and advertising. Mm there which year did you finish up in pittsburgh um i had a little bit of a longer track so i finished up in 2013 oh cool yeah yeah no i feel real old now (laughs) (laughs) i always feel bad with my friends whenever i start saying (laughs) no 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 it's it's but you know like it's funny because maybe people think like why is he trying to get the years right like well actually just it's just me comparing myself (laughs) How old, how old am I? You know. Yeah, uh, I remember today we were at uh, the bar that I work at, Geraldine's. Yeah, and I I work with under Jen Kaiser. Yeah, yeah. And I think we were joking about. Um, I was like, oh, I don't go out like that anymore. Like I don't go out drinking anymore. like that anymore. <laughs> or um, I was like, the last time was, I, that was like. I had a really bad night like that was uh, when I was like 22 and Jen was like, oh, you mean six months ago? And I was like, come on, <laughs> come on. But we're, yeah. all, we're not like none of us are really jaded, but we're way more gray than you. Like, <laughs> like this one half of my face is completely gray. But, you know, I digress. I won't hold it to, against anybody. So you finish up in 2013, do two years in fashion, two in PR. Correct. And it kind of that that makes a lot of sense, actually, because it's very complimentary and so you finish up in Pittsburgh. Are you saying, shit, yeah, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to be part of a massive PR firm and then deal everybody the bullshit because that's what happens. Never once did I want good, to do that, good. actually. Um, I I went into public relations not just because it made sense when I was in Ohio, but also it was kind of – it made sense because whenever I moved into Pittsburgh, I got – my first job was – working as a cupcake uh, cashier no during the cupcake trend. So I did this as a summer job. I was about, I was 20. I was like 19 going on 20 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I worked for this bakery called Dozen Bake Shop. And uh, pretty quickly because I was earnest, I showed up. I wanted to learn more. Yeah. I like taking on responsibility. Uh, I was then suddenly managing between six locations. That's amazing. For this bakery. Yes. And it was I felt like a little Doogie Howser a bit, like being <laughs> 20 years old and helping people out with their weddings and with the Andy Warhol um, yeah. events that we had. But what I, is uh, Andy Warhol events? What? Oh, Andy that? Warhol's so. from Pittsburgh, so we have oh, the Andy Warhol okay. Museum there. Oh, yeah, it's one a lot of, the of original lo- pieces there. A lot. No kidding. Yeah, it's one of the largest museums dedicated to a single artist. Amazing. If not the largest, I forget. Some of his are and just a brief tangent. Some of his early work is so violent that I love it. The f- f- photographs before he started doing the Xerox and copying and the, the yeah the replication image. yeah that some of that stuff like what is it Saturday Disasters I think one of my favorite works oh, yeah. of his and it's like some guy spilling out of a car after an accident so 
I am. I guess I'm morbid. <laughs> Let's just put it out there. There you go. Yes. <laughs> but that's amazing. So you're doing these events, and like obviously you're a superstar at a young age. Oh, or like I wouldn't pe- go that far. But <laughs> no, but are like people that were working beside you, like God damn this girl. Yeah. So I was I was working at uh, this independent bake shop, and it went through a couple ownerships. And by the time I left, I was 22, and I was like I was 21 going on 22, and I said, you know what? Uh, I just, I'm, I went back to school during that time. Oh, was, really? Well, what, what were you I took do? maybe like a six-month break between Kent State and going to Oh, Point I Park. see. Okay, okay. So I was going back to school. I was working 60 hours a week in the bakery and also going full-time at Point Park. Yeah. And I, t- I just said, you know what? I really need to just make sure this isn't a good place. I think you guys need to start finding a replacement because I can't be taking on all these responsibilities while mm. also trying to finish up my education. Gotcha. And it was totally good. It was a great break, and but I needed another job. And that's whenever I got into my first restaurant job, upscale dining uh, at a place called Salt of the Earth. I like it, the name of it. Yeah. Is everybody real accessible? <laughs> very accessible. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was the first restaurant of its kind in Pittsburgh where it was doing modern contemporary American cuisine mm. with a lot of these techniques that... I mean, you were seeing in the Modernist Cuisine uh, book that came out yeah. for the first time around that, around then, like wow. 2012. So I uh, I was a host there and at what was supposed to be a part-time job to go along with my public relations internship at Girl Scouts. Suddenly, the, the Girl Scouts? Yeah, Girl, yeah, I worked at Girl oh, Scouts. Man, that's crazy. <laughs> Are they centered out of Pittsburgh? Uh, no, it was for the Western Pennsylvania uh, okay. chapter. chapter, right? Yeah, so basically it was... Uh, four of the Girl Scouts hubs, and we worked oh, with all okay. Western Pennsylvania and our our main base. Was do do they somehow put addictive materials into those cookies? I I'm sure you've got an NDA that you sign. <laughs> you can't disclose. There might be papers saying no. <laughs> <laughs> but my cubicle was made of Samoas at one time. <laughs> oh shit! How you maintained a healthy weight? I don't understand. Between the cupcakes and Girl Scouts, I don't know. <laughs> I guess working in restaurants. No. Yes, but, um, maybe. But yeah, that was my first service industry. Uh, well, not first service industry, but my first upscale dining job because uh, Solid Earth was up for uh, James Beard Best New American wow. Restaurant. Our chef was Best Restaurateur for Northeast Division. Yeah, and it really opened my eyes to this world. I remember my second week as a host. I came in, and it was uh, Solid Earth just had like this. Three long communal tables, uh, L-shaped design of open kitchen and bar. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful space. It closed, sadly, this past oh, summer shit. just because the owners didn't want to uh, be in the restaurant business anymore. Understood. Yeah, uh, it was a sad day for all over across Pittsburgh. Oh. But, you know. Uh, should, we pour, we should, should we take a moment think, to pour pour out some mezcal for, for salt so. of the earth? <laughs> That, earth, that's yeah. symbolic. Maybe the salt of the earth. Like, that's the plight of the salt of the earth. I think a lot of people would appreciate it because a lot of great talent came from that kitchen yeah. and from that bar. Because I remember the first day I came in and there was 20 female bartenders all posing for a photo for, I believe it was for Pittsburgh Magazine. And it was a, an entire story about the strong female presence within the bar community of yeah. Pittsburgh. It's, that's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, because it's not even like that in some of the bigger towns now. No, Austin has 
a female community. But if you're seeing 20 strong in Pittsburgh, that's amazing. Yeah, and that was I was very lucky to be brought up in the Pittsburgh service industry as a bartender mm-hmm. and uh, bar professional because I had so many strong female mentors and role models and coworkers to yeah. go to. Amazing and, pedigree yeah. to be able to just to study with them, right? Yeah, so um, I and it wasn't like I immediately was like I want to be a bartender, but it was more so it was great to see that support of yeah. everyone in the room and. I just was in the right place at the right time to suddenly meet all these really cool chicks. And, I mean, I was 22. I was drinking my rye on the rocks already. <laughs> I've always been a whiskey drinker. But I, uh, it was just a cool opportunity where I went, hey, maybe these will be my new Pokemon cards, all this booze in front of me, yeah, you know? And it's not so different, right? It's, it really it's is a similar thing. I always joke that the Del McGay uh, Mezcal series are the best Pokemon cards for a person to collect. So this is, <laughs> all right, this is so strange. I collected baseball cards when I was like in the 90s, late yeah. 80s, 90s. I, <laughs> it's horrible, but I think of my Pappy collection. I'm like, well, I'm missing the 15. Right? I just want the complete set. Like, that's it. On. That's it. Like, that's all I really want. Like, all the Vago stuff that comes out. Like, if it comes to Texas, I'll get it. Right. Because I want the complete set. I just want the complete you set. You just want to see it all there on your shelf. Right. So pretty. There's something. Uh, that there's just a completeness and a thoroughness that I, like, for some reason, OCD-ness maybe in my head, I've got to have that. But I think that's inherent with people who are collectors or were yes. exposed to collecting when they were young. Yeah, Especially, I mean, whether it's baseball cards or magic. Or, right, it doesn't matter. Or Pokemon it doesn't could matter. Be, it could be Iraq War veteran cards. It doesn't, make, <laughs> it doesn't make a fucking difference. It's the same thing. It's about cohesion, completeness, and having that. And so it's strange that we, we what's the word, we sublimate it into a new form because it, it's a, a paper form, right? So it's in cards. But then you think about people, and you're like, well, having a complete group of people that, like, it completes the set. Like, this guy's this guy, this guy's a good chef, good butcher, good mixologist or cocktailist, good PR. Like, you, it's the same thing, like, having that complete set. And I don't know if that sounds horrible or not, but it is. It's, we're collectors, you know? We are, yeah. Or just you're constantly trying to assemble that perfect team or that perfect yes. collection in front of you. Absolutely. Yeah. And. It's never really truly complete. No. <laughs> you keep it, going. It's probably a good thing that it's never truly complete. Maybe so. Because then you you don't give up. Yeah. You keep going, right? Or if you're talking about team building, I mean, it's it's nice to always have room for that new talent or that new fresh perspective. Yeah. Um, in terms of Pokemon cards, I just want all of them. <laughs> or in terms of Mezcal, I just want all of them. <laughs> All the mezcals. But then if you said that you have all of them, then there's no new mezcal to collect or try or taste. Well, until they release a new one. Exactly. (laughs) You never can really truly get them all. No. (laughs) And maybe that's what truly, in essence, marketing is. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) They got us. They got us. The sons of bitches (laughs) got us. Well, so that's actually a brilliant time to talk about the bottle that we're we're sipping. Oh, yes. This particular session there's lots of stuff down there. It was pretty simple. You want something dark. You want something clear. You went for agave, which I absolutely love. I've been in an agave mood lately, even though it's cold out. And this is Mescalogia or Mescalogia. I, I have to ask Houston or someone that's down there that speaks yeah, better Houston Spanish. On the phone. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Let me text them and see. But this was this is a tepestate, which tepestate being the most regal, the oldest of the varietals. This I can imagine it's copper. It tastes like it's in copper two times, forty seven percent. It brings back so many wonderful memories of a night journey and getting in trouble on those cobblestone roads in Oaxaca and Dennis Gobis piercing and cracking his sternum in a steel fence, which in a later episode he will (laughs) disclose. But what do you think? What do you think of the mezcal? Oh, this is absolutely a treat. I've I've never had it before. But, I mean, yeah. Thank you so much for Mm. sharing. Mm -hmm. It has a great fruitiness on the nose. It's strange because... Well, it's not strange, but it has it, it i love that no matter what the varietal is there's so many different ways in which you can make it so there's so many v- variables right like you can ferment it differently you can leave the cooked plants out for too long and they start to build build up some bacteria and then you ferment them all these kinds of plants or all rather all these kinds of variables and this is actually the most different tepestate that i've got it's not as round it's yeah. very sweet and but very tight and kind of piney almost like, for me, anyway, obviously this is all subjective, and no one wants to hear me fucking wax poetic about <laughs> synonyms to use while describing mezcal. But it's wonderful, and suffice it to say, if you get a chance to visit Oaxaca proper downtown, this is a really wonderful spot. I really liked it. I almost liked it as much as Mezcoteca, just because they're, they're so open, and mezcal is a currency in Oaxaca. It really is. Yeah. So, what it what it, what do you find appealing about mezcal on the whole? On the whole, um, I don't. Well, for mezcal, something that I've really been looking at uh, with mezcal is I come from more of a wine background. That's oh, really? one of my that's one of my huge passions. That's how I got more involved in the bar side of things mm-hmm. because uh, I was taking courses on wine. I was trying to set on getting my. Uh, Court of uh, Master Samia. Yeah, yeah. Just my first level. I haven't done it. That's my goal for 2016. E- out of several goals that I have for myself. <laughs> it's a huge list on my bathroom mirror. But it's, uh, I, I just love the expression within wine of a time, a place, a varietal, mm-hmm. and the people who take care and attention of that. And you see it with mezcal and uh, learning more about the history of the agave. It's just, it's yeah. it's such a centerpiece within Mexico's tra- like culture and traditions, yeah. and it's something that I've never really been exposed to in Pittsburgh or Western Pennsylvania. Is there can you get mezcal there? Not too much. We just so that was the cool thing about moving to Texas was suddenly <laughs> yeah. all the agave. We're close to the border. <laughs> it's all yeah. much easier here. No, Pennsylvania is a, a controlled state, yeah. so. Um, it's really hard to get things in. And also the liquor stores there are controlled by the state. Right. So uh, basically we don't have like a, it's a monopoly. Yes. Yeah. So we don't have a twin or a specs. Everything is just a state store that you purchase it's like Utah. from. Utah is like that. When exactly. You over there. Or Ontario, if you're familiar with yes. Canada. Yes. yes. The OLCB. Jo- when I was talking to Jonathan Smolensky, ah, we yeah. talked about that whole thing. Yeah. Gosh, I love John Smolensky. He what, a, is, what a gem. <laughs> I'm, go- I'm going on the record to say that he is one of the more brilliant people I've ever met. He, like, that man has it, so much knowledge in that brain. He Genius. Yeah. We'll see. But the interview, I, I, I'm looking forward to releasing that. Yeah, we had a good I good chat at the at the the Sheraton. Yeah. We hung out and talked about the Eagles. 
<laughs> that sounds about right. That man yeah. loves American he sports, too. He loves American sports. And he American went to a Eagles. Spurs game in the yeah. middle of San Antonio Cocktail Conference. Right. Because he goes, I'll never see LeBron James play. He calculated it. He said, what are the odds that I'm going to be able to see LeBron? I, I can see prime. that in him. And he figured, like, well, I'm going to take sack. They're playing. You know, I've got to do it while I'm in town. Yeah. I mean, he's from Vancouver. It's a good opportunity for him. He's the hardest worker, too. He and uh, Zara Bates juiced everything for San Antonio really? Cocktail Conference. It was over 300 gallons of juice. Over and the acid of- burns up the ass, from what I understand. Not literally, by the way. <laughs> no, no. The figurative figure of speech. Yeah. But so how long you kind of build this relationship with the industry in Pittsburgh, you're getting into fine dining, you're getting into cocktails. Where did that just spark this interest in you? Because it is kind of fashion, it is kind of details, it is kind of collections, it's all of that stuff. It seems like it would appeal to you. It just kind of made sense. And also, I really fell in love with the hospitality industry. Mm. Uh, I mean, from the time I was schlepping cupcakes or dealing with customers i didn't really see it as the hospitality industry at first i just saw it as this is my job to get me through college yeah and i remember sitting in my cubicle at girl scouts and not really loving it and yeah i was doing design work which i love but i wasn't interacting with people the way that i loved or talking about the things i was really passionate about and it wasn't until i started working at salts where I realized this is a career path mm-hmm. and I fucking love it. Like something just kind of sparked inside my mind where it just made sense. I, it just, I just lived and breathed everything within that restaurant and what I could get from it and yeah. from all the people around me. And it really has never stopped since then. It's amazing. So yeah. was your next trek from Pittsburgh? So where'd you work after Salt? So at Soul of the Earth, I left uh, as I went from a host to a server position and left because I really wanted to learn how to bartend. Mm -hmm. And Salt was a very small, tight-knit bar team. I mean, you could only have two two to three bartenders on that team. And they're so talented. Uh, Maggie Meske, who was on our prep crew for SACC. No shit. Yeah. Do you, you know Maggie? Know? No, I don't. Oh, yeah, I actually, she was one of the people I picked on there. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> we uh, we asked her to come on as a as a uh, latecomer. Yeah, well. yeah. But she's she's one of the people that I have always looked up to within that industry. She's mm. uh, she was one of the female bartenders that helped run Salier's program along with Erica Joyner and Summer Volkner where there's three badass ladies who are running Amazing. that bar. Yeah. And um but I remember knowing and that I didn't have a spot in that bar and I also uh, Pittsburgh just didn't really have a lot of apprenticeship or mentorship right installed at the time and a lot of bar programs there just cuz it's a smaller market. Sure. And whenever you have a first boom of a restaurant scene, you're not really thinking about how are we going to teach the next generation. And I think that's a new thing that's kind of coming up within the service industry as yeah. a whole. Well, is- you, it, it, so when it, it, when any industry evolves, you have to have some plan in place to train the replacement. Exactly. Right? Because the bartenders, they're going to become bar managers and then they're going to become bar owners. Mm-hmm. And if you don't start thinking about that stuff and like training people to be your replacement, which is something I learned even from fucking retail, like in tech, like, that's that's so important, and there aren't a lot of 
that that's maybe something that no one is really talking about is how do you train people to run a business and understand P&Ls, understand staffing, like all these kinds of things that are really, really essential to being able to run a program and to be able to run a business. Exactly. And I uh, and I have so much to say on that too. It's like, and I think that's something that a lot of people forget that it takes so much more to run a business than just say, hey, you're a good bartender. Let's run this right. bar. That's not a business. That's not a business. <laughs> that's just like, hey, you're a person that a lot of people know. And you're you a warm a body <laughs> covering a shift at that point, right? Yeah. Like, there's so much with it within like knowing accounting and how to, I mean, gosh, you could probably talk to all the people who have opened bars in the yeah. past year, like Lavenue or Gobis, or yeah, now the absolutely. Sanders who are opening up their second bar right, right now. Right. Jeez. But yeah, I, I left Salt because there just wasn't a place for me to kind of fit in at that moment. Did you find like it wasn't, not that it was stifling, but that you had more brain power than you were able to use? That's that's one way to put it. And I don't want it. You're humble, that's, right? That's, so, a, that's a really that's a really kind thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I just think because it was more so. I mean, I was I was young, like you know. I yeah. But I just didn't see myself. I just didn't think I was able to fit within what that restaurant had at the time. And right. I had so much more to learn and I could have learned more at that restaurant, but I felt it was right for me to go on and learn more in a a semi-corporate setting to learn how that goes. Definitely understand that. So yeah. I went on to work at a restaurant called Soba, which is owned by the Big Burrito Restaurant Group. No kidding. Yeah. Soba, I'm, I'm no, I'm thinking Saba. There was a place called Saba here. Oh, okay. With, 10, maybe 10 years, well, maybe not that long ago, but like five, six years ago. Oh. So, but Soba, what, what's the concept there? It was a Pan-Asian uh, fusion restaurant. It was about four floors, and we had an upstairs sister restaurant called Umi, where uh, we had a premier sushi chef there called Mr. Shu, who made Mr. like- Shu. Mr. Shu. <laughs> so many stories about Mr. Shu. <laughs> but yeah, uh, just like upscale premium sushis, uh, Classically, like trained Japanese sushi chef. Yeah. So we would have the Steelers in, Penguins in, Christian Bale, Anne Hathaway, like all Man, the stars. Did Christian Bale yell a lot? I hear that he yells a lot. No, very quiet. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Only in Batman. <laughs> but but yeah, so I went there and that's where I was able to get my first bartending gig and where it taught you, it was a high volume craft cocktail bar right. where we were servicing both restaurants, Umi and Soba, three floors plus an entire cocktail lounge that could have up to like 160 bodies in it. Jeez, wow. So it was really hard work. But um, uh, while I was there, it was like huge management turnover. I was there for about a year and a half. And that's when I went on to, uh, I had an offer to work as a full-time bartender at a bar called Butter Joint. Mm-hmm which is connected to the restaurant Legume in Pittsburgh, which is um, on that same level as all the earth, like right, recognized right. Uh, by the James Beard Foundation as uh, best new restaurant. Yeah. Uh, and it's well-established. It's been in the Pittsburgh community now for seven years and moved a location one time. So, it, and that's, that's honestly where I kind of started finding myself as a bartender. But it, did you... What do you think defines you as a 
These are one of these like interview questions. Oh yeah, <laughs> Forbes question. Oh gosh. No, but, but but I think about it, and it's like everybody we do stuff, right? It's like, well, I'm talking to you, or I write music, or I do this and that. But like, but why do I do that? Like, what was it for you that made you want to do that? Engage in it even deeper than you did before. I I don't know. I think it's I I gravitated towards the bar because. I I feel like I kind of always play the role as not just host or bartender or anything, but yeah. just really embracing hospitality from the moment that I remember my parents hosting parties yeah, or uh, my family gatherings. I, and not to say that uh, we're a family of excessive drinkers, but I, gosh, we like to have a good party. Yeah, well, you're in, like, uh, that's something I know of Pittsburgh. Yeah, what Pittsburgh, I've heard, Michigan, anyway. cold, cold weather states. We yes. Like, we, we what are you going to do to keep warm? You're going to wear a hoodie that's just not, that doesn't suffice. It's not going to. It doesn't, it's not, it's not, not enough. Do it. So, but no, I remember from my earliest memories and traditions that we still have on Thanksgiving, we do noon o'clock Bloody Marys. Nice. I remember the first drink that I learned to make was when I was seven years old and my grandpa taught me how to make a perfect martini. Really? Which no, I mean it's a it's a Grandpa Cardo martini. It was a rel- it was a relative. <laughs> the the instructions follow as absolute. Yep. Vodka. Oh come on. And uh, you pour it into you know your pint glass. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you take just a capful of vermouth because mm-hmm. any more it'll ruin the drink. Sure. And then you put the ice cubes in and yeah. you swizzle it and then you strain on top and then add. Pickle juice at the end. Pickle or juice. juice. <laughs> I know. Oh my goodness. And and there you go. But I, I just remember my grandfather doing that or he would make the Bloody Marys for the family. Mm-hmm. Or um, it was always about taking care of each other during those holidays. And that's what I love. Yeah. And that's why I love spending the holidays with my extended family. Like yeah. I'll go back for Thanksgiving over Christmas any day because of the... Because of all the traditions around it. So whenever I bartend, especially when I was at Butter Joint, I I really developed this idea that every customer I talk to, I talk to like they're a member of my family or right. they're my friends from college that I haven't seen for a while or they're just my brother or sister or anything. Like yeah. you're a family member. Every time they make you a drink, I want to think like I'm making my... Aunt Sandy's famous the, the white Russians amount, or the same something. amount of care, right? Yeah, I I want that person to feel cared for, right? So I think that's why I really love the art of like the basically being not just in the hospitality industry, but really bartending because you have a different connection with your bartender. You totally do. People tell you things; they're open with you in ways that you would never suspect. You know, there's something. I mean, obviously, vino veritas, which is an amazing concept, but I have unfortunately never been able to work behind a bar and that dynamic and seeing people go deeper into their emotions and things. That's something that really appeals to me. Yeah. You know, whether it's good or not, whether, <laughs> whether it's like, I yeah. want to kill this guy. Like whether it's that, or it's like, I love you. They, both both poles are totally fine with me. Yeah. I would love that. But I can imagine why it is fulfilling in that sense. You know? Yeah. And Butter Joint was a very special, is a very special bar. It's uh, every I, every time I go back to Pittsburgh, I always go to that bar. And mm. such a heavy wave of emotion kind of overcomes, like just comes over me because 
uh, that bar, I would work a shift and I would know all 13 people sitting in my seats and I would Amazing. know every person sitting in those tables. And it was very much a neighborhood bar. Yeah. So. so that then begs the question, seems like you're learning, you're advancing your career in Pittsburgh. Why? And I love Austin. But mm-hmm. what what brought you to Austin? Um, <laughs> it's funny to was say, it a but boy? My, it was a boy. Yeah, it was a boy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a boy. Yeah, uh, my my boyfriend John and I we've known each other for about three years. We actually met at Soba. Oh, okay. and uh, we weren't seeing each other at the time, and we didn't really start seeing each other until after he moved to Austin. He's mm-hmm. from here. His parents oh, okay. live he grew here. Up here. Yeah, he grew up. In Houston, but he was born in Austin. Oh, okay. We're in Houston. Uh, he's up north around Spring. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know plenty of people. Yeah, he went to spring. high school there. Cool. Yeah, he left when he was 17 to go to culinary school in Pittsburgh, PCI. Wow. And so you, there's some kind of bond <laughs> that establishes at Zoba. Yeah. Um, well, it was we were always really good friends, yeah. you know? And after we moved to Austin... We kept in touch, we would text, we would call, and over the course of a little over, almost a year of us going back and forth, he came to visit me in Pittsburgh, and it was very apparent that it was romantic. We were on the phone all the time. We were yeah. watching Netflix. Did you, getting, call, did you call it what it was? Yeah, was basically. spade a spade? Yeah, we just called it a spade a spade, yeah. and we were like, all right, cool. So, um and it was funny because I was like, this isn't like a viable relationship. Like, it's I'm hard. A- you can't sustain that. No, a long distance. And then also I was like, at the time I went, my career is going so well for me right here. Like I love my bar. I love my city. So many cool things are happening here. Mm. And then two weeks later, I found myself buying a plane ticket to visit him in Austin. <laughs> and, ah, uh, the plot thickens. The plot thickens. So <laughs> when we- was that when you came? Uh, I came on the. I came on February 15th. Last year? Yeah, last Amazing. year. That was my first time in Austin. So What'd you think? I loved it. Yeah. It was great. It's easy to love, isn't it? The sun was shining. I think the city shut down because it was too cold for a day. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I was <laughs> there, there was, was an like, ice patch on some overpass somewhere. Right. Like, I was wearing like my dirty like punk rock cut off jeans, riding a bike <laughs> for twenty miles around the city. I went, All right, this is pretty cool. And Due to a mix-up, my five-day stay ended up turning into a seven-day stay. Oh, wow. And I really loved the city, and I loved exploring all the different cocktail programs. Mm. I had some common friends. Some of the people back home in Pittsburgh were like, hey, a few people that we know are here in Austin. And I wasn't tapped into this uh, national, international cocktail network yet. Right, right. I was very – I didn't know anyone yet, basically. Well, that's – I didn't how it goes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's it was weird. Um, where I was like, okay, cool. So spent the week and then by the end I was like, I gotta, mean, gotta I, lo- I love I love I love John, you know. Yeah. And it was very apparent that I was like, I can have my career anyway. That anywhere. That's the beauty of being a bartender. That's absolutely what, you know, I, I can pick up and go wherever and I realized that I'm not really learning as much as I could in Pittsburgh. I was kind of at the top of where I could be without right. having my own bar program, which I found highly irresponsible because I was 24 at the time. Didn't feel like you'd paid your dues yet? I uh, didn't pay my dues. I just don't have, I at the time, I just didn't know enough to feel comfortable with that. Right, and it's right. not like I was seeking investors at the time sure. or like, I, I just knew that I wasn't ready for that step yet. Yeah. So 
I, uh, I was like, Austin seems like a great chance, not just because I, I love John, but as a professional move too. I mean, we have so many. Oh, so many opportunities. So many opportunities and so many great people. Like, uh, I remember visiting Drinkwell and I didn't meet uh, the Sanders there or anything or talk to really any bartender. I was just yeah. there. I'm like, this bar is awesome. It's insanely awesome. And yeah. Half Step with Chris Bostic. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, there was just so many, so much talent in the city that I didn't really know about at the time. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, working in a larger market will help me grow like personally and professionally. Absolutely. And the day that I moved to Austin, Texas was in May. So it was pretty sudden. Everybody was like, really, really, really? (laughs) And it was even more shocking when people were starting to find out that John and I were an item because John actually was the opening sous chef of Legume back seven years ago. Where was he working in Austin then? He uh, he decided to get up, leave the fine dining game, and okay. now he is a sous slash kitchen manager for uh, the RK Group, uh, catering by Rosemary. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they're based out of the UT Alumni Center, but he does national events. He goes to the MGM in Vegas and caters and does menu creation for yeah. the UFC fights there. Oh, nice. And he goes to Fort Lauderdale for boat shows for the Poor bastard. Catering. I know, right? <laughs> Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> it's funny because you're like making like, you know, 20 gallons of bechamel for my yeah, cheese, right. like out in a parking lot. But <laughs> I think that's, that's, what for, that's yeah. what I do with cocktails now for these conferences. But yes. I, no, absolutely. And everybody's burning their skin off. Yeah. Well, just doing citrus. Poor John. <laughs> <laughs> but so what was your first gig then in Austin? Um, I was really lucky uh, to come across. Uh, I went to a couple USBG events, mm. and I was actually at a Del McGay Mezcal tasting. The one where, Sean Kenyon did? Yeah, the one yeah, that Sean yeah, Kenyon yeah. did. Yeah, I didn't know anybody. I felt like the new kid all over again and was sitting by the window. And um, after the little seminar that Sean did, yeah. uh, I somehow, everybody was like, oh, she's new. She's looking for a job. And Chris Bostic said, you want to come talk next week? And I said, yeah, sure. So, I mean, like three or four days later, we sat down. We kind of left with the understanding that, yeah, you're going to work here. Amazing. Yeah. Working behind the bar? Yeah. um, I basically, it was more like how Half Step works is it's really delved into like an apprenticeship program. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So I was cocktail serving. I got behind the bar. Um, but around the same time before I moved to Austin, I was kind of asked to, if I would be interested in working for Kimpton Hotels. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Which is interesting, right? Because. That's where I work now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I was going to say, is that where, uh, what's yeah. where I work? Well, it's, it's interesting because, um, it's been a weird, like awesome, uh, trajectory since I moved from Austin because. Mm. Before I left Pittsburgh, I applied for the cocktail apprenticeship program. A tail, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's of one cocktail. of the things I knew, yeah, that I read about you. Yeah. So, what does that mean exactly? So, the cocktail apprenticeship program is similar to the prep crew at San Antonio Cocktail Conference. Okay. Okay. Where uh, you have seventy-two individuals who are in tra- who are responsible with the task to produce all the cocktails, provide all the cocktails and tastings throughout all the events mm-hmm. that occur throughout the city of New Orleans for Tales of the Cocktail. Wow, it's a so lot. We're, yeah, so it's a, we have a full-on juice team. You have a full team in the kitchen prepping perfectly manicured peels and right. wedges, batching cocktails for all these seminars happening across the Sinesta and the Monteleone. Yeah. 
And it's really based as a mentorship and apprenticeship program for people who want to learn from the best and then also it, to learn about more about yourself. Right, like, right. I, I will say that capping was one of the hardest things that I did, but it was one of the most amazing things that I ever did because you go in kind of like soft dough, you know, your right. cookie dough, and then suddenly you come out and you have a better idea of where you want to be in this industry and how much of a bigger picture it is. And you're yeah. suddenly connected with all these people where you can ask advice from anyone, whether it's It's amazing resource. Professionally. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how the Cocktail Apprenticeship Program works is you basically you have um, 42, I think it's 42, new cocktail apprentices mm-hmm. every year. And they wear red jackets because they're like the worker bees. Right, right. And then you have your next tier, which are team leaders, where uh, they wear gray jackets. And each team leader has two red jackets. Okay. And it works kind of in like a very like hierarchical, hierarchical yeah. like kind of tier system right, right, just right. for organizational sake. So you have like Don Lee and you have John Darragon and like Trevor Callies and uh, and Mike Ryan, who works for Kimpton Hotels as mm-hmm. their bar education uh, for task force, where they open up all the, that's like what they call the people who open up the Kimpton Hotels. Mm-hmm. And then underneath there, you have platoon leaders and each platoon leader has, I believe, like five team leaders and you're tasked with all the different things throughout the conference. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty cool. And everybody who is not wearing a red jacket is returning cocktail apprentice. Interesting. Yeah. So it's a lot of hard work, but it's... It was a great experience for you, it's though. It's a great experience. And so you've been in Austin, then got approved for the the apprenticeship with uh, Tails, or was it... It's funny because the day I applied while I was still in Pittsburgh, and the day that I left Pittsburgh, I was in the middle of Kentucky with a U-Haul and John and my uh-huh. dog in the back of the car, and that's when I got the email from Don Lee saying... They got accepted on to over. the cocktail apprenticeship <laughs> yeah. program. Like, and I wanted it for for about a year, and I never applied I, for about two years, and I never applied because I didn't want to apply until I thought it was ready. Right, it's right. like a continuing theme. I don't want to go on to the next step until I feel like I'm ready. Yeah, and from there, suddenly, I was like, I did tales of the cocktail. I moved. I, well, I moved to Austin. The tales of the cocktail had all these cool opportunities over the past year of going to these conferences and working for these bartender summits. And then quickly after Tales of the Cocktail, I was invited on to management for San Antonio Cocktail Conference for their prep crew by Kara Carmack. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So you've done a lot in a little time. (laughs) And in a sense, you've had like an expedited career. A lot of people have to put in a lot of time. I, I feel like I don't know. You just seem ambitious, you know? And people told me that. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a blank slate. I'm not making any <laughs> judgments about anybody. But the you've got what it takes, I guess. You got oh, what it thanks. takes, girl. Like, <laughs> I feel like some old, like, shitty producer <laughs> <No>. <laughs> from the 50s. Like, you're you're what we're looking for. You know, it's, it's horrible. But. And, and it's always so... And thank you, by the way. <laughs> it's, and, it, and it is weird to hear that because, um, I mean, I'm I'm... So lucky to have so many people, I guess, in my corner. Sure. But also, like, I'm lucky to have made friends and these connections over the past seven months. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm just really thankful for 
That's good. All the support that you have to I've be. Had. Yeah. When did you get hooked up with Kimpton this this time proper at Hotel Vanzant? Um. So at Tales of the Cocktail, I was approached by Mike Ryan, who said that they were opening up a new hotel, mm-hmm. and I was familiar with Kimpton before because they opened up a new hotel in Pittsburgh in January. Mm-hmm. That I had a few friends that they were working for Kimpton. So basically, it was like, "Are you applying?" And I was like. Uh, and he goes, you better be. <laughs> it was like, it would be really great. And I was like, all right, I'll think about it. And it just seemed like a new opportunity. I mean, I I was really sad to leave Half Step because yeah. I knew there was a lot more that I could learn. But, and so much more. Like, I think you could work at that place forever and there's still a million things. Yeah, it's a, it's a brain it's, brain. Brain consortium, if you will. There's yeah, so many, so many facts, so many people, and so many people to learn from. Like, there's so yeah. many talented bartenders there. Like Steve Robbins was there for oh, a yeah, long time, yeah. and Rashid is the bomb. And she's great. Gosh, I can go on forever. Yeah, all those guys are. Cool. I mean, I didn't have enough time to learn from them. That's one thing that I regret about leaving Half Step. But I knew that, um, that going to open this huge hotel, yeah. uh, was what I should probably learn because I really want to learn more of this, like how to operate a business, I yeah, guess. Yeah, you want to expand your horizons and kind of like get out of just what is a tactical task. Right? Yeah. You want to get in more strategic. Like, well, then how do I cut costs or how do I make the most out of labor? or How do I make the most out of supplies? Like, it's a really, really, <laughs> it gets really onerous <laughs> at times, like thinking about all this stuff. But I get it, right? Yeah, you want to go from tactical to strategic. That's how it goes. And I, I think like the best way to learn is kind of just by doing it. Yeah. And what I've learned really is that whenever you can learn a lot about drinks and everything through mentorship programs within bars and restaurants, mm. but I think. Also, you can learn a lot about how to just like the basic steps and like the skeleton of how to operate and run a business in a corporate set environment sure. too. And Kimpton does it so well. It's from- a great environment. I love Geraldine's. Yeah, it was, it's Jen's great. Known her for a bit now. The, the everybody there are, is so awesome. The, but the cocktails are <laughs> really fucking excellent. Thanks. You know, I went in there Jen the other job. night. Yeah, and they're just. I got to stop myself from keep keep on drinking them, you know? It's, it's like one of those things. Like, that doesn't happen that much. I like to pick stuff. Like, mezcal, you're not going to chug mezcal. You're going to, like, kind of approach it with some respect, and you got to think about it. It deserves stand it. Off it. It does. It totally deserves it. And it's, like, slightly standoffish, you know? It's not like your warm embrace and a hug yet, but then, like, once you start drinking it for a while, then you get that. But, like, those cocktails at Geraldine's, instant, instant bros. I could just keep tossing back. They're so accessible. <laughs> yeah, it's insane how accessible those cocktails are. And the muddy waters—I think that's the one that comes to mind with the cold brew. Oh yeah, jeez, oh, so it's so good. I mean, I I remember when Jen was like, uh, we were seeing the recipes for the first time. I was like, this is like a bomb ass like Thai yeah. iced coffee or Vietnamese exactly. iced coffee, and she goes, boom, nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> you could drink that all night because you'd be up all night. It's <laughs> rel- yeah. And it's relatively low proof too. There's only like, yeah, there's like only three quarters of uh, the pure Fernand cognac and only yeah. half of Verna. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's a really wonderful cocktail. Yay! So, where this is, 
it's hard because in a sense, like it's a dot, dot, dot. It's an ellipses in this conversation because you're young, you're driven, and you have only reached a portion of your potential in this industry. I mean, you have people that have been in tw- 10 years longer at the minimum, right? That are saying, you get it, you think about it, you're responsible, you're orderly, you're detailed, like all of this stuff. Like, you're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> but like, where do you... You, there's greatness in you. What are you going to do? Uh, I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's so many opportunities and it's a great time to be a bartender yeah. at this, in this age because there's so many opportunities and it's not just being behind a bar, bar ownership. It could be going into brand ambassadorship. It could be yeah. going into events. I love working at cocktail conferences and mm. it takes... Uh, is sick statistic kind of individual where uh, you want to work 12 to 14 hours nonstop yeah. for five to six days in a How row. How dare you? I know, right? <laughs> Trust me, the dish pit uh, at two in the morning. Well, it helps a little bit when yeah. you're around, you know, 50 of your new best friends. But, sure. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. There's just so many opportunities that I guess I'm figuring it out. I think I just really want to have a upscale pizza shop with a neighborhood bar attached to it. <laughs> but <laughs> that sounds brilliant. Yeah, it really does. That's what I really want. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, and thank you so much. Feeling like we're all nerds, but sometimes people don't come out with it. <laughs> they're like kind of res- they they just they're not totally forthcoming about their nerd ship. And uh, I've got. Plenty of pictures with this, some shitty goatee in the 90s that I was absolutely a nerd. So there's proof. But it's been amazing chatting with you. I think what you guys are doing there at Hotel Van Zandt is exceptional. Thank there's you. a good view, you know. There's no reason not to get drunk there all the time. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but, but I absolutely look forward to seeing what other kinds of things you do in Austin. You haven't even been here a year yet, and look what you've done. Thank you so much. It's, it's insane, right? So... Thanks so much, Amanda, for chatting with me. Thank you, Mike, for having me. Honestly, it's been so much fun. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. I'm so glad because some people are like, what am I walking into? What kind of ploy is this to take my insurance money or kill me or whatever? (laughs) I've been watching way too much How to Make a Murderer. Yeah, I can tell. Where's the paranoia coming out? (laughs) (laughs) It's that. It's Netflix. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks so much for chatting with me. Talk soon. Thank you, Mike. Bye. Well, there you have it. Another fine conversation with Amanda Carto of Geraldine's at Hotel Van Sant in Austin, Texas. Again, so young, already involved with Tales of the Cocktail, already involved with the San Antonio Cocktail Conference, into video games from Pittsburgh, the working class drudgery of Pittsburgh. No offense, Pittsburgh, but some great, wonderful people coming out of that scene and heading to Austin, Texas, in this case for love, in this case for opportunity. And as I say many, many times, I cannot wait to see what Amanda does in the future. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter which football team you're rooting for, no matter which cocktail you're ordering at Geraldine's at Hotel Van Zant, please keep dancing.